I said softly to David, thank you, brother, because I'm fixing to get you. You see, I can't explain it, David, but the last few times you sang, I mean, you've always been a good singer, but like you're better than ever before. And I've noticed it happened when you shaved. I, I don't know. Well, I was thinking more here. Maybe it's like the, the whiskers were vibrating or something. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Do y'all think there's a connection? Absolutely not. But I want to tell you tonight, lead in, about there is a connection with something else. Take your Bibles, and we're going to kind of go over what we're going to talk about this morning, tonight, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. I'd already taken this, <laughs> I'd already taken the sermon this morning and like whacked it down to one verse. And then, of course, God just changed everything this morning incredibly, and that was just awesome, and that was cool. But I want to talk to you tonight about the, one, the main ingredient that one, family-wise, think about family, doing life together, is just absolutely crucial, but it's also crucial in the family life of God in reaching folks for Jesus Christ. And, you know, it's like, you know, there's some things, you can ask Judy, I don't cook very well, do I, Judy? Not, not only do I not cook well, I don't cook often. All right? Like, one time, I remember I was making baked beans, and I put, like, green beans in there, you know? You know, some different kind of, you know, it was like nine beans, and I just grabbed that and grabbed it, and it wasn't good. It just wasn't good. All right? And so here's the deal, though. Usually, you can leave a minor ingredient out of a recipe and survive. Okay? Survive. It may need a touch of this or a touch of that, but it's edible. But what if you're making a chocolate cake, and you leave the chocolate out? You, you, you have some kind of cake, but it won't be chocolate. What if... Over the years, what if over the years we have sort of adjusted the recipe for how God wants to do church life, God life, and evangelism, and family life, and we tweaked it to something we thought that was better, and what we've got is anything but better? What if? And what if that ingredient was just a single word called love? Called love. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 9. This is the Holman Christian Standard Version. Love must be without hypocrisy. Love must be without hypocrisy. Okay? Now, hypoc- you know, the hypocrite is, is a, it's a Greek term, some of a Greek term, okay? And it means to wear the mask, all right? And it would be an actor who takes on a role that he's not normally. In other words, he would get on the stage and he would start acting out a part that he was not normal in life. He may pretend to be a horse and of course wasn't a horse, or he may pretend to be a doctor on television and not really be a doctor, okay? And so hence the term hypocrite was an actor on stage playing a role. And, and that's where the term comes from in Christianity. It's where we say one thing and yet we do another. We, we talk about one life that we live and we're really living another life. And that's called the hypocritical life. It means to wear the mask. It means we put on a mask to hide the real person that we are. And Paul says, love must not be hypocritical. Now, now the, the Living New Testament says it this way. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. You can't beat that for a simple verse. Don't pretend, don't pretend to love others. Really, really love them. And what we've done is we come up, I think today, so often in our families, in our marriages, in churches, and everywhere, we come up with this facade of true love, and it's not really the true love at all. So tonight, I want to look at real quick and talk about love and how it plays out in life. And I really hope we can get our world rocked and get back on course to what God had in mind with this thing called love. 
Now, first off, let's take a moment and look at love demonstrated. Look at that. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles. Go to Romans in chapter 5. Romans in chapter 5. Verse number 6. This is love demonstrated. This is what, this is how God plays out love. Okay? Now, by the way, this, this morning, the jump off scripture was going to be the scripture in 1 John. Okay? Here it is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the perpetuation for our sins, the atonement for our sins. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, or 6, 7, 8 does the same thing. Watch this. For when we were still without strength. In other words, when we were powerless to do anything about it. In other words, we were lost and on our way to a crisis hell. There was nothing we could do to appease for the price of sin for our own sin, okay? When we were still without strength in due time, in just the right time, uh, in God's counter, just perfect timing, Christ died for the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? Who's the ungodly? You know... Us. Say us. It's us. It's you, friend. It's you. It's me. It's all of us. We all were born ungodly. Without Jesus Christ, we were anti-God. We were the ungodly. And Christ died for us. He goes on and says this. He says, verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But listen to this, he says, But God demonstrates His own love. God shows you the epitome of love in that while we were still sinners without any reason for God to do it, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, let me tell you the sad part. This, this is the first indicator that something's wrong. Now, I, I don't, I've learned not to judge the truth by an amen or two or three or seven or if somebody claps or not. But here's the crazy part. The biggest truth in the Bible is what I just read you. That God demonstrated His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But if I were to stood up and said, our country's going to hell, we'd say, that's right, preacher, that's right. And that old president, he did this, and that Democrat did that, and that Republican. Yeah, we all go, yeah, amen, yeah. But I reach you the heart of the gospel and we sort of go, is that all you got, preach? I've heard that one before. What has happened that we no longer are moved by the love of God? To the extent that we get this, is how we live out love in all areas of our life. The passion that we have about what I just read to you. May I read it again? But God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe if I got a blowtorch and got John Calger to come up here. John, take your shoes off. And took that blowtorch to the bottom of John's foot. Some of y'all go, well, that's hell. And it would be. It would be. Maybe that would motivate us. But because hell to most of us, and even heaven to some of us, is an abstract idea that we just don't get. We don't get the wrath of God being poured out on lost sinners, unforgiven sinners. And so we're not moved anymore. But God demonstrates His love toward us. And that while we have sinners, Christ moved us. And if we're going to make a chocolate cake... And we leave the chocolate out, we don't get anything. If we don't get this, guys, if we don't get excited again about an old rugged cross and the Savior who hung on it, if we don't get excited again about God loving us unconditionally without merit, we had no merit, if we don't get excited about that, we're not going to move forward. We'll be stuck right here in this rut. And you know what a rut is, by the way? It's a grave with the ends knocked out. Come on. Now, 
Get this. You're going to say, you should preach this this morning. Maybe tonight's better. Maybe tonight's better. I want you to get this, okay? The world is not going to be impressed with our churchiness. Jesus knew this, by the way. We'll cover that in just a moment. Jesus is not going to be impressed with our, bla- our, our brass chandeliers. The world, I say Jesus, the world is not going to be impressed, or no, probably Jesus either, with our brass chandeliers. The world is not going to be impressed by our rules. The only thing that's going to impress them is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's going to get their attention. And how we, that plays out in our lives is going to impact our life, our marriage, our family, and our work. Listen to this. That's love demonstrated. This is love defined. You know where I'm going? 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Take your Bible turn there. 1 Corinthians 13. If you got married, the preacher probably read this for you. I read it in almost every ceremony I do. Interestingly enough, by the way, does anyone have any idea where, where Paul was writing when he wrote this? First Corinthians and the town of Corinth. Okay? Guess what Corinth was famous for? Immorality, lewdness, sexual sin, every, every kind of bad thing you can name, that was Corinth. And that's who he's writing to in this letter, in the church. Now, think church, think 50, 60 people, don't think, you know, even 300 people. Think a small church. Here's what he writes. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, it's not selfish, is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs. I really like that one. Most husbands do. <laughs> Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never ends. And see, to most of us, that's just this impossible standard to meet. But can I throw something out at you? If I was going to paint a picture today of something, I would start making brush strokes. And somewhere along the way, well, probably not me, but let's assume I was an artist. Okay, I'm not. But let's assume I was an artist. And and as I make the strokes, you're going... What, what is he painting? I can't, I can't quite get it. And all of a sudden, enough strokes are put on the canvas where all of a sudden, bam, it pops into view and you go, that's what it is. It's a mountain scene. It's, it's a home, whatever it might be. May I propose to you today that as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, that we see our Savior? May, may I say that Paul is painting brush, brush strokes of the face of Jesus Christ? Can we read it like this? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not boast. He is not conceited. He does not act improperly. He's not selfish. He's not provoked. And guess what? He does not keep a record of wrongs. Can I have an amen? amen. Jesus finds no joy in unrighteousness, but He rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things, endures all things, Jesus never ends. And I would be totally accurate with the Scripture to do that. Because when you think of Jesus Christ, you've got to think of love. That's huge. I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about watering down the gospel where God is love. I'm telling you the essence of God is love. He loved us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. And yes, He's holy. And yes, He's just. And yes, His wrath is powerful. But God is love. And that's a picture of God's love. And it's also a picture of us who are surrendered to Jesus Christ, who have decided to follow Jesus, who are living Him. So we can say, Todd is patient. Todd is kind. Todd does not envy. Todd is not boastful. Todd is not conceited. Todd does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked. Todd doesn't even keep a record of wrongs. Judy finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Judy bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Well, Judy never ends because she lives eternally in Christ. Are you getting it? See, if we, what if that was true? Now, the first part is, I'm telling you 1 Corinthians 13 can be a picture of Jesus Christ. The question of our is, are we a picture of Jesus Christ? Do we live out love in such a way so that the world looks at us, they say, that Dwayne Terry is one of the most patient people I ever saw. And, you know, he's so kind. Well, you know what? He's never envious of what other people have. What would, what, would, what would the impact, Mary, be of that in our lives? If we want to see our family change and our marriages change and our church change and this world change, do you think that Jesus was on to something when he said, you know what? They're going to know you by your love. Now, this is Sunday night. Y'all can say amen. I'm not fishing for amens. But this is, this is what we need to do, folks. This will save marriages. This will save churches. This will lead to salvation for the world. So we have love demonstrated that, that and this is God's demonstrated love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love defined as patient, as kind, as love. It's a picture of Jesus, and it's also to be a picture of the follower of Jesus Christ. But watch this. Love not only defined, but love defines. Take your Bibles real quick and look at it. Well, not necessarily real quick. 1 John 3, 10 through 12. 1 John 3, 10 through 12. I want you to get this. Good to hear the leaves turning. 1 John 3, 10 through 12. Now, this is an amazing scripture. Now remember, this is the old John... The one who died on the Isle of Patmos of old age. Okay, this is the old John. He walked with Jesus. In this, in this, what he's fixing to say, the children of God and the children of the devil are made manifest. In other words, what he's fixing to say defines what a Christian looks like and what a child of the devil looks like. And you're either one of the two. Okay? There's no half-breeds. Either you are a child of God or your father is Satan. One of the two. Amen? All right, now watch this. Here's how he defines it. Now, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Who defines it? John. 
Who's, who's, who's the authority of John? The Holy Spirit. God the Father. Jesus Christ. So this isn't Dwayne's opinion. This isn't the Southern Baptist Convention. This is what God says. The evidences of you being a child of God or a child of the devil is this. Whoever does not practice, practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who, do, who does not love his brother. John says, if you don't practice righteousness and you don't love your brother, then you're a child of the devil. I don't care who, I don't care if you've got your name on seven churches and been done by four different preachers three different times. If you don't practice righteousness and love your brother, you've got an illegitimate birth certificate. Think about it. Now, now here's the deal. When I said that practice righteousness is a thing, once again, somebody said, yeah, that's right. You've got you know, that drinking thing and that drug thing and that sex thing. And, and you know, those are all important and good. But have, y'all, have you done a casual reading of this book? Have you done a casual reading, particularly starting with Matthew and going through Revelation, and see how much of this book is about relationships? About how we treat people? How we love people? Have you done a casual reading of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see how much of what Jesus taught was about how we treat one another? Are, are you there? How about that? Now, Dwayne, is it important if we practice? Oh, my goodness. I am so discouraged with our country. And yes, our president. But, but they're just acting like the world. That's called they are the world. But I'm telling you, it's incredible. It's incredible when you think about it, okay? That love is the evidence of a child of God. Righteous, how we treat people and how we love people are the two defining moments if you're a child of God or not. Now, that's huge. You know, it's easy to go to church and still kick your dog and your wife. It's harder to go to church and love your wife and not kick your dog. Amen? In this, the children of God and the, and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. In other words, man, this is Jesus' radical teaching. Okay? Children were nothing. Uh, uh, women were nothing in this society. Okay? And Jesus came along with this really radical teaching that we should love one another authentically. Who is it you don't love? Who is it you don't love? Who in this church you don't love? In fact, you can't stand them. Now, they won't know that because you put on the mask for them. But who is it you can't stand? Who are you married to? Which child? What friend? What neighbor? Because authentic love, love must be that hypocrisy. Authentic love loves unconditionally, even when it's hard. Even when it's hard. I'm so impressed with Ronnie and Cindy Patterson. You know they are? Their house was just about blown away in a tornado. And I'm pretty certain I can say for a fact, Ronnie and Cindy hadn't been in church a long time. But they've made six or five of the last six weeks at Doorsville Baptist Church. 
And you wonder why I think they are? Not because they got their house rebuilt. Because somewhere in this crazy mess we call church, they're seeing something that they think is pretty cool. And they keep coming back to find out more about what it is. And I got a stinking suspicion that somewhere in this mess we call church, we are learning to love one another. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Be careful. Don't spoil it. Now, John Rice says, now you're to love one another. And he says, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. I've used this illustration before, but it's so good and it's so true. You know, I can just see, see, Cain was jealous of Abel. Um, Abel's offering was accepted by God and Cain's wasn't. He got all wrapped up in jealousy. He got angry with his brother. I can see them going out because, you know, Cain met him out in the field or took him out in the field. And Cain kills him. And I'm sure he didn't, he didn't get him out in the field by going, Hey, Abel, come here, I want to kill you. He somehow put the mask on and said, Hey, Abel, brother, come here. I, I, was, reading, I was reading a story um, about, about, oh, rats, it's David's guys. And, and, and Joab was going to kill, I think, his, his brother, I think. I, I can't remember. But he, but he took him by the beard, which is a weird way to hug a guy, I thought. He took him by the beard as if to kiss him and stuck him in the gut with a dagger and killed him. Not as Cain. Not, not a hypocritical love, not a pretend to love, but authentic love, just like Jesus loves us. That's huge. So love defines who we are. Not how often we go to church, not if we drink or don't drink, but how do you treat people? That defines who we are. And then we move down to love demonstrates. Now this is huge. Okay? So, so Jesus is coming down to the end of his life, you know, and he's teaching this new radical thing. And so he says, okay, I, I'm going to give you one thing, okay, that is going to define to the world that you're my disciples. Okay? There's one thing. Okay? I, I, this one thing is going to define the... So I shout to the whole world that you're my disciples. Now, you may know the answer. But once again, we probably say, yes, moral living. Very important, sir. Wrong answer. Yes. Going to church. Uh, good answer, sir. Wrong answer. What did Jesus say? This is what not we miss this. Watch. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you. That you should love one another. In fact, here's how you should love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Wow. A new commandment? Yes, Jesus. A new commandment says, I give you that you're to love one another. And here's the degree of the love. Okay? Like I'm going to love you or like I love you, you're to love others. Yes. Yes, Peter. Go ahead. Um, Jesus like, what if I don't like them? You're to love them. Yes. Yes. Mary. Um, yeah. It's my husband. He's a jerk. Uh, should I have to love him too? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Yes. Um, my neighbor plays the boombox at 3 o'clock in the morning, keeps me up all night. Surely, yes, you need to love them also. And, and Jesus, what degree do I love the person with the boombox or the jerk husband? Um, as I have loved you. Oh, really? Yes. It's easier to just go to church. Yeah, I know. But the rule is you've got to love one another. It's easier to keep the rules. I know. 
but you've got to love one another. Because, verse 35, if you don't have this underlined in your Bible, you need to underline it. By this, say it with me, by this. Say it again. By this. So, by this, by this one thing he's fixed to say, the world's going to know something. Watch this. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Holy mackerel, that's huge. That's so big. Your Savior said, here's what's going to tell the world that you're my follower. That you love people who are not worthy of your love in your eyes. That you love people who wrong you. You love people who you disagree with. You love people who really are huge sinners. Well, Dwayne, are we supposed to do that? Jesus did. Remember, he's the guy that had dinner with the tax collectors. This is huge, guys. I mean, should we live moral? Oh, please. Do we live holy? Absolutely. But we've taken the main ingredient and put it on the counter and said, if there's room in the bowl, we'll add it. May I suggest the first thing we do is pick up the cocoa and make a chocolate cake? By this, the whole world's going to know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. He said in John 15, 13, Greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. Wow. Wow. All right. A couple more. Love debt. Love debt. Here's what John, the old guy, said in 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, that's us. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let me read it again. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, the word ought there is an obligation term. It's almost like a financial term. Okay? Because you receive this, you have to do this. Okay? Because this has been done to you, then you have to do it to others. It's, it's an obligation. So, what Jesus is saying, or John's saying, and Jesus is, is speaking through John and saying this. Because... You have received a boatload of love. You've got to give a boatload of love. Because I've forgiven you a whole bunch, you've got to forgive others a whole bunch. Got it? It's a debt thing. You're obligated to do this. Yes, because you're a Christ follower. But yes, because you receive so much. I told Sunday school class this morning... I, we're talking about, you know, when Jesus said in John or in Hebrews 13, He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you all like that verse? What are you all so quiet about? He said, I ain't saying amen. I might obligate myself to love someone I don't want to love. I'm not asking for a lifetime commitment, just an occasional amen, okay? But do you like that verse? Yeah, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. How cool is that? Aren't you glad you didn't go, okay. 70% pass rate. If you keep 70% of the rules, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If, if you. if you demonstrate my love 70% of the time, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You wouldn't like that, would you? You'd go, oh man, what if I like it 69% already? I'm fixing to go over. You like that unconditional, don't you? Aren't you glad that God unconditionally loves you? That He's not in heaven going, I'll love you if... If your Sunday school attendance is 78%, you're in, I'll love you, but if not, I'm done. 
I'll put you in my I'm done with you box. Aren't you glad God says, I love you? When you fall flat on your miserable face, I love you. And when you keep all the rules, I love you. I love you. And because of that, we ought to love others. Guys, it's huge. I mean, listen, I almost said something crazy like, do you understand with this we could turn the world upside down? That's why Jesus said it. That's why He said it. He knew the one thing that the world couldn't replicate is this kind of love. They can replicate churches. We've got zillions of false religions. They can replicate morality. The Muslims are much more moral than you are, friend. You still, they cut your hand off. I know, somebody just said, not a bad idea. Might agree with you. No other religion has this. No other religion has this. You need to love one another. Love must be without hypocrisy. So by now you're going, oh man, it's Mother's Day, Dwayne. Could you not come up with something a little bit gooier? You know, come on, Dwayne. You had 450 people there this morning. Could you not give them this load? I mean, goodness gracious, we're here on church on Mother's Day night. We've got to be spiritual or something. And the last part's not any better. The last thing I wrote down was love done. See, did you catch all the D's? I mean, I worked hard on these. Love demonstrated, love defined, love defines who we are, love demonstrates to the world. We have a love debt and love done. Here's the non-scriptural part. In fact, it's not in the Bible. And here is the part that is in the Bible. These words you won't find in the Bible. But love is a choice. One day you saw this guy, and he saw you, and he was cute, and you were cute, and he did things for you, and you did things for him. And one day these words came out of your mouth. I love you. And at that moment, you chose to start loving him. You chose. You didn't fall in love. You made a choice to love him. And then some of you have made a choice to stop loving. And just like you made a choice to start, and made a choice to stop, guess what? You can make a choice to start loving again. And it's true of mommies and daddies and kids and friends and neighbors and husbands and wives and pastors. Love is a choice. So here's the scriptural part. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what I think? Somewhere along the line again, we got this idea, and I, didn't, I said this before, and it's true, it's true, but, 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 but we've misused it. I told you that when you got saved, when you got forgiven, you got the Holy Spirit. Now you can say amen to that. Okay, that's safe, it's safe. You got the Holy Spirit. And when you got the Holy Spirit, you got the fruit of the Spirit, the nine fruit of the Spirit. You got all nine of them. That's a safe one, Galatians chapter 5. That's safe, okay? And the first one, the fruit that's demonstrated is love. Okay? And I told you that Jesus can give you all this stuff about love, and you can do it because it's in you. And that's all true. 
But here's the deal. There's not a magic pill. Like, like God's not going to go, I'm going to call Todd. Todd, you got mentioned twice tonight. Dude. Okay? I'm going to call Todd to radically fall in love with Connie all over again. So I go, God goes, and God goes, woman. And you know, that's something we think, you know? But see, here's the deal. Have you thought about where Jesus said, love your enemies? There was no magic pill for that. The deal was that Jesus said, come follow me. And in following Jesus, you agreed to start following and doing and doing and doing the teachings of Jesus Christ. He's not going to love someone else, quote, for you. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. I can do all things. Christ is going to strengthen me. Christ is going to undergird me. But Christ isn't going to do it for you. He's not going to zap you. But He will strengthen you. And when you pray to Him, ask Him, He'll give you help. But you've got to make that choice to love. You've got to make the choice to love. And to follow Christ. And not to gossip. And not to lie. And not to cheat. And not, and not, and not, and not. These are, listen, that's what following Jesus is. It's doing the teachings of the Savior, enabled by the Holy Spirit. But we've got to do it. And the truth is, the reason it's not happening more in my life is because I'm choosing not to do it. And truth is, the reason it's not happening more in your life is you're choosing not to do it. You're choosing to withhold love are not to restore them. And when we admit that, then we're on the road to God bringing healing and forgiveness and helping us to love. So I asked you a question. Who are you withholding love from? Who is it in your heart you just can't stand? Who is it when the name crosses mind you just want to talk bad? Who is it that you know in life that when you see them at Walmart, you turn down the other aisle? Who is it that when you think about them, thoughts of rock-chucking, judgment comes? Who is it? Shall I confess? i got to drive up to St. Louis tonight. In my young days, I'd get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and drive to St. Louis for Terry's surgery, but... Now that I'm older, I get a hotel room and drive 25 minutes. But i got to drive tonight. Which, by the way, I didn't cut the message short, did you notice? So, I'm driving home from church today. And um, <laughs> I stopped for gas. Because I didn't want to do it tonight. So I'm pumping gas, you know. And this van whips into the gas station at 800 miles an hour. I thought she was going to hit me. And the last time, she lines up with a gas pump. And out of the vehicle came a lady that's really hard to love. And she's not a member. But a lot of y'all know her. And I had my sunglasses on, and I said, she don't recognize me. (laughs) And I'm sitting there going, do I say hello or not? And boy, you don't know, because she's a hard one to love. And so I'm going, all right. 
hello, and I said her name, and she looked at me like, and finally said, who are you? She felt like that. I said, uh, Dwayne Taylor, Dorsco Baptist. Well, hello, Brother Dwayne. I didn't recognize him. Came over, and we had a 10-minute conversation that left me going, uh. And I got in the car and said, shouldn't have said hello. <laughs> Sometimes they're hard to love. And that's when we just got to cry out to God and say, God, please help me. I'm, God, I'm hard to love sometimes. And yet you love me. God, help me to love. Because there's a whole world out there and the only way they're going to know is how we love them and love each other. Let's pray. Father, as I share this tonight, my heart is convicted. It is. We laugh, but while we wrestle with this, the, the, the stuff that we count, some, that's so easy to do, like, like the physical things of doing and not doing, they're easy. But this love thing is hard. And God, I think we left the major ingredient out, ingredient out of our church, out of the gospel, out of the ministry. And the reason that we see fewer people saved and more people turned away from you and the church is because we're not doing this good. And I find it pretty incredible that just a few days before the cross, when you're leaving the final plan for those guys, your final plan said, okay, here's here's the plan, guys. Love one another. Because by this, they'll know you're my disciples. Help us, Father. Help us. We can't do it. This is way too supernatural. We can make effort, and we should. But we need your help to love. We can do all things with your help. And we ask for that help tonight. And Jesus, I pray this message will be seen in our hearts. Please don't let it be one that in two hours is gone. Bother us. Bother us, God, with this message tonight. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.